0: Let me borrow about um... eight of you. Can I do that? I'm just going to pick four from each side. So I'll take. Uh, I'm going to use adults this time, guys. These are, these are the best guys in the girls' in the world, aren't they? I mean, they don't know what I'm going to ask for. And they're like, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, but it will be bad. Let me have four adults. How about. Um, let me see. That's a row of four right there. Tim and Beth and Jeff and Amber. Just four in a row. Let's take you four. And then let's take. How about. Uh, Barton Leslie and Stephen Jan. We've got a visitor here. I won't pick on him this morning, but uh, we'll take the guys surrounding him. Let's take y'all. And uh, what we'll do is I want to show you where we've been on our study in the Nehemiah visually this morning for a moment. Let's have you guys kind of circle up here in the front. Can you do that? Just kind of make sort of. This, these are the children of Israel, by the way. You didn't know that. There's a lot of Hebrew background here. Um, and they are back in the land. They've come from being in captivity, and they're back in the land, and they've got a job to do. And that job is to do what? Essentially to rebuild the wall. That's, they've got to get things done. And that's what Nehemiah talks about in chapters 1 through 6. So they're working away. Work away. They're building. And then um, something happens. They begin to be... <laughs> they experience opposition from where? Outside. So let's have uh, Dave on this side and one of the Tesmer men on this side. Just one of you. There you go. Come on up. And they begin to attack from the outside. And they're ridiculing and they're trying to start a war. And what makes? What does that make the group do? They get tighter, don't they? They get a little closer. They, they get along. They get things done. And they're working. And now they're building and battling. So now you build on him and you battle him. And the work on the wall is completed. So we'll have our opposition go back. And in the course of building and battling, these eight Hebrew workers begin to wear out, and they begin to realize this is more than we bargained for. We're not sure we like Nehemiah anymore, and someone gets in the middle of the group and says, "You know what I think?" He says, "You know what I think?" You know what I, think? <laughs> I think we're getting a raw deal here. <laughs> And suddenly the opposition is not on the outside pushing in, the opposition is on the inside pushing out. Pushing out. It's a wedge, it's like a mole. That's where we find ourselves in the MI this morning. How do you respond when the opposition is not on the outside, but it's suddenly it's resistance from within? How do you deal with things like that? Can we give our volunteers a hand? Thank you, all you Jewish people. Thanks, appreciate it. We're going to talk this morning about responding to resistance from within. That's what Nehemiah five is all about. Let me paint a picture for you as you turn there. It's it's a lot like the front of a car. Where's Chuck? Where's Chuck Warwick? I know he handles all of our Chuck, you can relate to this. I know I can't, but I'm trusting I'm right. I'm the worst mechanic ever been born, but The front end of a car, I suspect, has lots of parts, doesn't it? But they've all got to work together to steer correctly, to turn the right direction, to to go straight. If the front end of a car with all of its little parts is misaligned, it tends tends to be a bumpy ride. You're shaking, the wheel's shaking, you're trying to, you know, pull to the left, it's pulling the right. Every all those little parts need to be in, in alignment. That's the idea we're talking about here. You know, I think a lot of us, when things on the outside happen, like when our church was vandalized and things on the outside seem to come at us, it does push us together, doesn't it? I'd say where most churches live and die, it's when things on the inside get a little rough, elbows start flying, it gets crowded in the paint, so to speak. There's another basketball analogy coin just for you. And you know what? We don't like that. We're like, well, I have a personal opinion that we, we do a whole lot better when things outside are attacking us. Churches don't do well with inside resistance. And because we don't do well, you know what happens is we usually give up the fight. We abandon the mission. We forget the vision that God has really given our, our church. And so we say, well, and I think there's a real biblical approach to handling resistance, to making sure the team is aligned. So that the ride is as smooth as possible. I can't help the potholes. But I can sure affect my front end. Right? We're going to talk this morning about how to make sure our front end is aligned. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, let me just show you how we got here. In chapter 4, they had opposition on the outside. And all the people were coming that way. We'll go to the next slide if we could, Actually, We'll show these four chapters, at least three in a row. Nehemiah 4 is all about outside opposition. Nehemiah 6 is all about outside opposition. 4 talks about ridicule, the threat of war. Chapter 6 talks about their uh, assassination plot. Talks about how they tried to uh, entrap Nehemiah make making sin. But squeezed between chapter 4 and chapter 6, is chapter 5, and we'll get there in a minute on the right behind me, so don't worry. It's chapter 5, and he talks about how to handle inside resistance. Look with me at chapter 5, and let's read some verses together, and then I want to explain exactly what's going on. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives. Look at the next phrase. Against their Jewish brothers. Sanballat and Tobiah are no longer around. Now they're worried about folks in the family, Correct. Verse 2, there were those who said, we are sons, our daughters are many, and therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. I think that many of the people began to be focused on the wall so much that there were probably some economic situations in, in Jerusalem that weren't very healthy. Food was scarce. Morale was probably low. Fatigue was a serious problem. They had large families probably. And it, just a, it was a problem getting food. and They didn't have a lot of money for the food. So here's what they did. Verse three. And there were others who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses. We might get grain because of the famine. Well, we can't get the food, so we'll just simply give this guy our field and he'll give us some food. So they found themselves hungry and in debt. Also, there verse four, There were those who said we borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. And yet, behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. In a nutshell, here's what happened. Economically, things got so tough that they began to not only mortgage their fields for food or money, alone, so to speak. When they couldn't pay with with, uh, fields, they decided to mortgage their children. They'd say, well, we've got to eat, so i tell you what, Brett, just go work for Joe for about a year, and we'll get enough food to make it. You see, things within the camp begin to look deplorable. It begin to look pretty hopeless. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? When all of your energies are directed toward a certain project, and it's out here, and it's this grand vision, suddenly you, you stop and you say, wait a second, what's going on? And you look, at everybody around you is emotionally worn out. And they're just really not with us anymore, are they? Going through the motions. Verse 6. Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. And I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers. And I said to them, you're exacting usury, each from his brother. You're charging interest to your own people during a time in which uh, we're trying to come together to accomplish the great work for God, you're actually uh, seeing self-gain out of this. This is not right. And by the way, the Mosaic Law in, Le- in Leviticus and army talks and strictly forbids charging interest to their own people and especially you cannot mortgage your children. That's against the Mosaic Law. You can't do that. But these guys didn't worry about that. And you know why they didn't worry about it? Because they didn't know it. They were so far removed from what the Bible said to these people. And that's the next chapter 7 through 13. We're going to see that. How they realized, man, we're a long way from where God says we ought to be. Let's get back to the Bible. So Nehemiah contends with them and says, look, you can't do this. And it says they were silent and could not find a word to say. That usually happens when you know you're wrong, isn't it? Verse 9. And again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And likewise, I, my brothers, my servants, we're lending them money and grain. And lending them was not a problem. And expecting payback may not have been a problem. But lending and then using that situation to gain interest in a way that was probably, uh, most scholars think it was probably 12 and 13% they were paying. I saying, you know what? That's not right in this kind of situation. It goes against God's law. Can't you see what situation? It's your own people. And it was their own people taking the other people's children to work as slaves. He says, please, let us leave off this usury and give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, the hundredth part of their money in the grain, the new wine, the oil you're extracting from them, exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back. We'll require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. And the next few verses talk about the, the oath. And I like this part because Nehemiah says, yeah, you tell me you'll do this. But then he makes them sign like a a real visible covenant. That they have to do it and carry through. a kind of an accountability factor. Now look at verse 14. Moreover, from that day, um, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, and from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, for twelve years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. Interesting. In the middle of a famine... When the majority of the people who are doing the work, like these eight, they were building and battling. You and even then I realized something. If they're in this situation, why would I want to remove myself and be some high and mighty leader eating his legal allotment of food? I mean, I, I imagine the, the food allotment for the, the officials was great. They're like, you go into the White House. It'd be a whole new dinner experience for you, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be leftovers from the fridge. Right. It'd be a whole. I mean, it'd be protocol and 14 forks and six napkins. You'd just be like, man, what's going on here? Nehemiah didn't take that approach. He said, the former governors who were before me, verse 15, they laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. And I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were there at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that was prepared for us each day was one ox and six choice sheep, birds prepared, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished. Yet for all of this I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. Remember me, O oh my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I want to give you briefly five phrases and words that will help you. And I want to tell you something before I give these words to you. That if you lead a company, if you oversee a shift, if you lead kids in your home, or you oversee a ministry in this church, you will experience at some point some opposition to what you're doing from those within. It will happen. Bank on it. And it will make you feel worse than getting attacked from the outside properly. Someone's going to not like what you're doing. They're going to say a word about you. They're going to resist you. What do you do? These five words will help even the mom at home with two kids or the executive overseeing a, a massive company. I really think this approach here is, is I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to we'll do it pretty quickly, but I want you to see what Nehemiah did here. First of all, I want you to circle uh, five words. Would you do that with me? First of all, verse 6. When I, I was very angry when I had heard their outcry. First of all, listen. People want an ear, don't they? You know the Bible says in James that we should be quick to hear. James one nineteen. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get mad. He doesn't say never speak, does he? There's a time in which you should share what you think is right. But you should be quicker to do what? Listen. My mom always told me and... I'm sure you were told this. Still, you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you... You know, that's really true. Your mom wasn't just giving you a line. She's probably giving you great advice. Can I say to you that listening doesn't always mean you agree. It just means you care. And there's nothing wrong with caring. It might be in the end that you will agree, but you will gain insight and you'll gain support that you will need just by listening. Several times in our home, we've had four views on an issue. Brett's, Bethany's, Brooks and Brianna's. You know, you can referee forever. We just don't get into refereeing. You know, we've got more important things in our time to do. So we'll, and the love will listen. What's going on? What happened? We weren't there. How can we know? Big issues like that. You know, that's not all listening. Just listen sometimes. Number two. Verse seven says, I consulted with myself. Circle the word heard in verse six or whatever your version says. And then verse seven. And I consulted or pondered, some may say. Number two, think. People want a mind. I think often we follow the first one, we listen, and then before we think, we speak. <laughs> Don't leave out this critical step. And I like the way that Nehemiah said this. He said, I consulted with him myself. You know, his first step wasn't to run to a counselor or to an advisor or his cabinet. His first step was to say, okay, now what have I heard, and what do I know from God's Word? He was not afraid to rely on what he knew about God and His Word. Now, this is not a cocky mindset, but I want to be very clear about this. If God has really shown His favor on you and given you impact in an arena, don't shy away from that. When you hear the situation, then use your mind and God's word and think what is going on. When that happens, number three, verse uh, 7 through 11. You find three times it says, I said to them, verse 8, I said to them, and verse 9, I said to them, in fact... You find the word contended in verse 7. After he thought, after he heard and thought, it says in verse 7 to 11, he spoke. People want an answer. There's nothing worse than someone listening to you and then thinking and then never answering. They came to you with a situation. There's resistance. you heard them. You've thought about it. Now, let's chat about it. Talk to them. Talk to them truthfully. Listen. Try to understand and then talk about it. I, um, my grandfather had a situation one time occurred where he had some difficulty in a church. and I said, well, just go talk to your pastor. He said, I did. I said, well, there you go. I'm sure that you guys can come to a reasonable situ- uh, solution. He said, well, he won't talk to me. I said, my grandfather is a, is a very godly man, but you know, I'm thinking, well, he's maybe he just didn't quite understand. I didn't know. and I said, well, he's a grown man. He's a mature adult. I'm sure that if he talk even even if you disagree you can talk he said he won't talk to me i'm like we call him pop i said pop no grown man with even an ounce of maturity will sit there and stare at you he said that's what he does he sits there he smiles and he nods and he won't say a word i've never known a pastor like that i don't even know this guy but i know my grandfather and he said so you know what i had to do i had to just drop it he said he won't talk about it with me i found out later why He said, because he he said, any word I say will be held against me like a court of law. I said, this is church. We're on the same team. I mean, is he like guilty already before he speaks? I mean, what's going on here? You know what? When you listen and you think, then talk about it. Number four. Act verses 10 through 13. Talk about what Nehemiah did. And this is where I really get excited about this process. He went to the nobles. He said to them some very clear things about what they should do. And he said, you know what? You need to give this back and quit charging interest. When you hear people, when you think about what they're saying, and then you respond, live by your plan. Make a clear plan, a God-led plan to address the situation. Otherwise, it becomes rhetoric. Rhetoric is frustrating, isn't it? You know where you hear rhetoric? Every four years. Every two years. It's always going to be better. There's always the next bill that will solve that problem. There's always another way that we're going to find money and pay for this and implement this. But you know what? Sometimes it's just words, it's rhetoric, it's listening. Thinking and talking with no action. Forgive me. I don't want us to be an action-less church. Where there's lots of talk and people are warm and fuzzy and we listen and we hug and we care. And then what are we going to do about it? Oh, we don't know. We're just going to have another meeting about it. Well, hey, we've met about it. We've listened. We know what's going on. Now let's act. People want to plan. Last thing Nehemiah did. He says in verses 14 through the end of the chapter. A couple of words here. Verse 16. Excuse me. Verse 15. He said, I'd circle the words. I did not. He did not do what? He did not uh, put more upon the people than he would willing to pay himself. And in verse 16, he says, I applied myself or focused myself or held fast to the work on the wall. Identify with those on your team. Alignment will never happen apart from this final step. People need to know that you're a partner with them, not an autocratic commander hollering out orders. While we stay up and hide away in our fortress, you know, with the king's allotment of food, and we're down here barely having bread and water because of the famine, Nehemiah, why are you up there? You don't know what it's like to be hungry. You see what could have happened here? This whole situation could have stopped the work on the wall. This entire inside resistance could have been very deadly. Nehemiah shows great insight by saying, you know what? There's five things we're going to listen. Then we're going to talk. We're going to answer what they say. Then we're going to act, make a plan. We're going to listen, think, make a plan act, and then we're going to make sure that we all live by the plan. This is one of the inherent fundamental problems with the way our government is run right now. And I'm not a politician, but I want to take a minute here and explain something. You know, ideally, our founding fathers, it was designed that whatever you did up there, you had to live with back home. Amen? That's why you go for a few years, you come back, you go and help the situation, come back and live with it. But it's become to where Come to a place where almost that the Beltway does does not at all resemble what most of us live with. It is far removed from the average person's life. Do you see why there's resistance in America often to what the politicians always want to do? You see why Nehemiah was very very smart, and God led and saying, "Listen, here's the plan: We'll give back the interest. We'll give back the fields. We won't charge interest." You know what? We'll live the same way. If you're having a tough time finding food, then we'll just eat the same thing. I really admire leadership like that. He identified with his people. In Acts chapter 6, we mentioned this last Sunday night. Let me just kind of reference this again. In Acts chapter 6, you find the very same thing, don't you? The widows were hungry without food. The apostles said, what should we do? They listened. They thought about it. They acted, they made a plan and then they identified, they all shared in that ministry. Same approach. The very first church was experienced resistance and they dealt with it that way. I want to say something else to you that Jesus Christ follows this model. You say really? Watch this with me. He heard us didn't he? In our what does the psalmist say? He heard my cry oftentimes. I cry, Lord, and He heard me. No doubt, God thought about it. What should we do? And this is more of a personification of God. Yes, but in the Old Testament, you find God often conversing with Moses or his leaders about situations. Then God spoke, didn't He, through His prophets, through His Word, through His living Word, His Son. He acted. He said, "Okay, Son." It's Christmas, and I know it wasn't Christmas, I realized realize that, but give me some room here. So we've got a job to do. And they acted on their plan to redeem mankind, didn't they? And how did that plan go? It was a plan where, where Jesus Christ had to become one of us. So He could write whatever we've gone through and experienced, He's experienced it too. That's in the New Testament. You see, that's why I can stand here and boldly say to you, You should align yourself with Jesus because he is the best model of leadership and how to handle resistance, which is what some of you give Jesus. Sorry, but you do. Either as a believer or as an unbeliever, you resist his work in your life. I talked to folks even this week on the verge of trusting Christ, but they resist. The Bible uses that word, you know, he says we are striving against a resisting grace. Why do you want to resist someone? He's trying to align you in His team. He's followed the perfect model. Why resist Him? Trust Christ. Believe in, his, in, his, in the cross to cover your sin. And as a believer, we resist His work, don't we? He's trying to move us in the direction of holiness, of character. And we push away because it's tough, it's hard. Christ is the ultimate model. Of resist of uh, leadership. Let me just say to you a couple things. This is not a magic formula. Don't walk out here this morning and say, great, honey, I've just got to do five things. And anytime you don't like what I say, I do these five things and I'll get my way. OK, uh, I'm listening. I'm thinking. I'm speaking. I'm acting. Now I'm, I'm with you. OK, now get my way. I mean, that's not the point here. This is not some cloak for you to act like the leader and get your way. This hinges on two disclaimers. And I want to share those with you. I've been waiting all these past few months to share these two disclaimers with you. And you've got to get these. Because these five things will not work without these two disclaimers. First of all, getting things done is not the meeting of goals, but the meeting of needs. You see, we've been talking for several weeks about how to get things done. We've got a grand vision. you have got to build the wall. But at this point, suddenly, Nehemiah says, wait a minute. Maybe the goal immediately is not to finish the wall. Maybe the goal is now to meet the needs of those who are working on the wall. And I'm sure there were those who would have accused Nehemiah of taking a break. You've lost sight. You're turning back. Ah, you, whatever they say. But he realized the wall won't get done if the needs of the workers are met. You know, we can have a list of seven goals, uh, seven subjective goals and seven subjective and objective goals. We can have that list out there all year long. But if the needs of our church, if God begins to move and we sense, hey, there's something else going on here. Man, we ought to just chunk the goal sheet and meet the needs. Now, if the needs are a distraction, it's different. But if they're legitimate needs of the body, let's address the needs, meet the needs. That's how you, that's how you accomplish the goals. I want to say to you something, that if in your environment of leadership, whether you're a mom with two kids, a mom with one child, or or an executive, or a shift supervisor, or a teacher in a classroom, if your goal is just to get your way, you've got to meet these goals so you can look good, you will undermine your best efforts at handling resistance. Your goal has got to be to meet the needs of your people. Second disclaimer, getting along is not the absence of problems but the presence of love. You know what I like best about this uh, situation here is that Nehemiah didn't think, well, we've got a problem. This must not have been the right thing. And you know what? Since you guys are arguing and there's your own people are charging you interest, they're taking your daughters and sons into slavery, we've got a famine, there's great debt, it's divisive, I guess we ought to just give it up. We don't love each other after all, do we? That's not at all what he said. In the face of problems, he said, let's talk about it, let's come together and let's... Figure out what's going on and what to do. I say, that's courage. The easy thing to do is to run away. Turn your back and say, well, they don't love me. How do you know? You just stay along and find out. Excuse me. I'm going to tell you one of the best signs that there's love in an organization, a family, a ministry, a church, is when there are problems, people come to the table and say, you know what? Can we work through this? One of the first signs there's not love is when there's constant turnover. Everybody says, well, forget it, I'm going to get my way, I'm out of here. If your way is all you're after, you don't really love like God loved. That's not a Philippians 2 mindset, is it? That's not selfless love. You see, these two things address motives. When your motives are right... When people feel like you are listening. And I think these two disclaimers talk about the, the first step and the last step. I look at them as like brake pads. Now, I know in my mind, you know, brake pads squeeze on a tire. The truth is brake pads go out, don't they, Chuck? Is that right? Or brake something, they push you out and they stop the car. I'm looking for a nod. I'm not getting one. Well, whatever brake pads do, <laughs> is that okay? Listening and identifying are the two crucial ends. You make it think, you make it speak, and you make it act. But if you don't listen... And you don't identify, you will not handle or stop the resistance. It's these two ends that are most vital. People want to know that you hear them, and they want to know that you're a partner with them. It's the two ends that are vital. And that's where these disclaimers come from. They check your motives. Do you really love people? Are their needs the most important thing? And are you really willing, when it's tough to talk about it here's an action point for today I want you to read this with me ready here we go using my ears mind mouth and arms I will seek to meet others needs in a spirit of love instead of pursuing my own agenda with a sense of superiority all we're asking you to do is live out Philippians 2 let each of you esteem the other person more important than himself. You say, Todd, well, then I won't get my way. Welcome to maturity. Well, Todd, then I won't get to go and and, and do what I want to do. Welcome to being a parent. <laughs> okay, we can't go to my favorite restaurant, or we can't watch my show. Do you want to lead, or do you want to follow? Do you want to be a, a whiner? Or do you want to make an impact for God in in your arena? You will have people and situations come up that will seem like resistance. And when you do, how will you counter it? Nehemiah gives a great approach. And if you don't address it, I'll tell you, if you don't address it, if you ignore it, it could stop the work on the wall. We regularly sit down, my wife and I, and um, we just talk about Anything that comes up and things we've got to discuss, things we disagree on. Our latest one's about the bathroom remodeling. You know, Nehemiah's got me really pumped into building things up and tearing things down and building, you know. And I'm the worst carpenter. I'm the worst carpenter mechanic. I don't think that's probably true. I mean, I'm terrible. And uh, we've got the bathroom upstairs totally torn apart in the shower. And we we're debating what should we do. And we went to Menards and we're looking at, you know, do we do a tile? Do we do surround? And, and we had completely different opinions about that issue, you know. But we just kind of come together and talk about it. and is that, That's something like. But in all those issues, uh, in our first years of our marriage, we probably didn't talk that way. You know, we had our opinion. We were going to get our way. We were going to kind of put our foot down. And if you don't see it my way, I won't talk to you. You know. Man, those years are gone. And God's going to work in our home and in our lives. And He could do that in our church and He can do it in your life. To where handling resistance is not an issue of getting your way. It's meeting needs. It's not an issue of uh, necessarily, no problems, but addressing the problems with courage. That's what love's all about. In whatever situation you're in, these five steps work. But they hinge on the first and the last one. And if you will listen, then identify, God will help you handle and respond to resistance.